Well, good morning. Is it just me or is anybody else here glad to see the sunshine yesterday? <laughs> Doesn't this winter feel like it's been a long one? <laughs> or is that just me? So exciting. And apparently, I don't know if any of you have looked at the weather forecast for Wednesday, but uh, a notice ahead of time, the BBC weather forecast has got a full sun all day on Wednesday. <laughs> so this morning, we are sort of... Um, Finishing up on our little two-week series of post-Easter encounters, David, if you were here last week, was talking about dormant doubt. And this morning, I'm going to talk about dealing with disappointment. A number of years ago, um, various researchers performed an experiment on a load of rats. They weren't actually sourced from our home. Some of you will know that the home that we lived in before we moved into our current home was rat-infested, and uh, we had all kinds of incidences with the rats. Uh, but these researchers took two uh, laboratory loads of rats, as it were, and placed them both, uh, both these lots of rats in tubs of water. We know a little bit about that. Uh, the re researchers left one load of rats in one tub of water to uh, see what would happen. And within an hour, all of those rats had drowned. The other rats in the other tub of water were periodically, every now and then, lifted out of the water just for a few seconds maybe a moment, and then they were put back in the water. And uh, what happened was that those rats in that second tub uh, survived for 24 hours. Not because they were given a sort of miniature rest every now and again, but because they suddenly had hope each time they were lifted out of the water. They somehow kind of the researchers concluded, decided or sort of had some kind of impact that if they could just stay afloat for a little bit more longer, they would be lifted out again and perhaps eventually uh, the experiment would end, which it didn't. <laughs> but it was a powerful piece of research to kind of prove the fact that we all know that hope is incredibly powerful. Hope is incredibly powerful. Is there hope is one of the fundamental questions of life. I think it's a question that we all ask subconsciously uh, on many different occasions. Maybe every day it's, it's asked by thousands of people in thousands of different ways. Maybe it's a, a question that you're here and you're asking this morning or it's a question that you know that you're wrestling with deep in the core of your being. You know, when you flunked an exam and you've missed out on your opportunity to go to university, you know, is there hope? Am I going to get to the university of my choice? Am I going to get into the kind of pathway that I've, I've envisioned and dreamed for myself? When you've applied for hundreds of jobs and not been asked for a single interview, you know, that's a question that rises, isn't there? Is there hope? Am I ever going to get a job? When a couple, you know, if you, as a couple you've put months and months of investment into marriage counselling and you don't seem to be getting your breakthrough... That's a question, again, that rises to the surface, isn't there? Is there hope? When you've spent years and years waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to come along, years and years, and, and that kind of encounter has never happened. You know, I know a number of people who are wrestling with, is there hope? You know, when you've been waiting and waiting and praying and praying for your breakthrough and it just hasn't come, is there hope? The loss of hope is a desperate thing. Somebody once said you can go 40 days without food, you can go three days without water, you can go eight minutes without air, but you can't go a single second without hope. And I think that's really true. Hope is one of life's essentials. And when hope is gone, effectively life is over because we need hope to cope. We need hope to cope. 
And when hope gets lost, which, you know, some of us here know what it's like for hope to have got lost, it doesn't tend to happen overnight, does it? It happens over time. It happens over time as the result of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And those individual disappointments might not be particularly significant in their own right, but added up, if we're not dealing with disappointment as we journey with God and through life, added up, they amount to or have the potential to amount to a loss of hope. You don't tend to lose hope after you've been rejected from your first job interview, do you? But 10 or 100 job interviews down the line, you do. You don't tend to lose hope if a child doesn't come back to the Lord after you've been praying for a few months. But maybe a number of years later, after disappointment, after hopes rising, you know, a surge of faith and then hopes being dashed in disappointment, the disappointment tends to begin to turn or can begin to turn to a loss of hope. You know what I'm talking about. Disappointment shrinks hope. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment has the potential to crush hope. Proverbs puts it like this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And yet it seems to me disappointment is part of the human condition. You know, whether it's a disappointment looking at a plate of food and wishing you'd ordered the plate of food of the person sitting in front of you, (laughs) which happens in our family quite often, or disappointment on a much bigger scale. I wonder how good we are at dealing with disappointment. I was doing a bit of research for this this week and uh, I found a psychology magazine which was fascinating. It wrote this about disappointment or the psychologists who were writing for it wrote this. Disappointment is a profound way in which sadness is experienced. People seem to do whatever they can to avoid recognizing that they are disappointed and they will twist their thinking every which way to not recognize true disappointment. I found that really interesting. And another, another uh, researcher went on to say this, I found that people avoid disappointment far more than many other emotional experience because disappointment can feel like it comes with a finality. The recognition that you don't have, you didn't get or will never achieve what you really wanted. And I think that's a particularly interesting truth for us as Christians. Are we any different? Are we any better at recognizing and naming and dealing with disappointment? Some of you will know um, of a Christian author, Philip Yancey. He wrote a book called Disappointed with God. I haven't read it, but I've heard that it's a really good book. I don't know if we've got it on the bookstall, if it appeals to any of you. But apparently when the title of his book uh, that he was writing, when he was writing it, got out, a number of people in his church started contacting him and wanted to talk about disappointment because they'd never been able to acknowledge it. And uh, they started saying, can we tell you about it? You know, what are you writing about? How do we cope with it? What do we do with it? And I wonder if disappointment is a particular issue for people of faith because we hold faith in one hand and we want to trust God and we know that we should have hope, but disappointment is a reality of life. And I wonder if Christians, we can either go to one end of two extremes and and either kind of never acknowledge it because we want to be those people of faith or perhaps we fall into the, the trap where we've lost it. We don't know what to do with it. We've lost hope. And we actually fall into unbelief and protect ourselves from any future disappointment by not allowing hope to be uh, reignited within us. Alexander Pope wrote this, Blessed is he who expects nothing, because he'll never be disappointed. (laughs) That's one way of doing life, but it's not a very good way, is it? So, 
Uh, the passage that we're looking at this morning, the story on the road to Emmaus, I mean, I love the fact that in, in our book, in the Bible, you know, God deals with everything. And the passage, the story that we're looking at this morning on the road to Emmaus, the story of these guys on the road to Emmaus, it's about disappointment. And it's about how Jesus deals with disappointment and therefore about how we might be open to him dealing with our disappointment. I'm going to read it to you. It's in Luke 24 if you want to uh, read it in your own Bibles. Uh, And I'm going to read from uh, the passage from uh, verse 13. And this story is on Easter Sunday. It happens on Easter Sunday. And uh, the two people who were on the road to Emmaus, we only know the name of one of them. He was called Cleopas. Uh, Some people think that the the person with him was his wife, but nobody really knows. They They were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They'd heard the fact that the tomb was empty. They'd witnessed the events of Good Friday. They didn't know what to make of the report that the women had been to the tomb, hadn't found Jesus' body, you know, had only found uh, found the the cloths lying there. And uh, they were chatting amongst each other as Jesus turns up beside them. So Luke 24 verse 13 says this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? And then they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the rest of the disciples and they told them what had happened. I have to say, I don't think I sounded particularly disappointed when I was reading what what the disciples or how they were speaking. But these two guys were phenomenally disappointed. I don't know if you picked up that phrase, we had hoped. It's loaded, isn't it? Those three words are absolutely loaded with disappointment. They're not British. 
They're not kind of stiff upper lip people who are walking down the road and pretending that everything's okay and trying to find the best out of a bad job. They're chatting together about what has happened. And Jesus comes alongside them and interrupts their conversation. You see, for these guys, a season of their life was over. As far as they could see it, the life as they knew it was over. They'd been called to Jesus. They felt they had a mission and a purpose with him. Uh, But events hadn't turned out as they'd expected. And as far as they were concerned, it was over. They'd spent three years with Jesus. They'd been on class 101 of discipleship, class 102, class 103. But they couldn't see beyond this event. And so they found themselves, or we find them, walking away from Jerusalem. The road to Emmaus is a road of retreat. They're walking away from where they should have been, where they had been, and where they ended up going back to when they'd had their encounter with Jesus. The road to Emmaus is a road of withdrawal and retreat. And I know that most of us, at some point in our lives, have have traveled along this road at some point in time. I know that's certainly true for me, and I know it for many of you because you've talked to me about it. Maybe some of you here this morning, you know, you, would, you know that you're on the road to Emmaus. You're on that journey of withdrawal and retreat because actually you're carrying disappointment. There are all kinds of things that drive us down that, that road of disappointment, that road of retreat. I don't need to, to go into them. And so often that can be compounded as Christians because we're disappointed that God in some way hasn't come through for us. That's what these guys ultimately are wrestling with. What they had hoped Jesus was going to go on to do for them, what God was going to do for them. And at times following Jesus seems like it makes things a whole lot harder. I don't know if you find that, but I do because it's, it's the event itself and then it's wrestling with, well, God, where are you in that? Where were you in that? What are you doing? But let's recognize from this story that disappointment has the power to send us in the wrong direction. Disappointment has the power to lead us away from the purposes of God for our lives. Disappointment has the power to send us ultimately on the road to retreat. But that's why Jesus is so desperate to rescue us from disappointment. That's what this story is about It's a story of an encounter, but it's a story about rescue from disappointment. So let's just look briefly at what this rescue looks like. The first thing, so obvious, you know, but worth identifying. Jesus draws near to those who are disappointed. These are his friends. These are the people he loves. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on in their hearts and their minds. He's heard them talking before he sort of starts engaging with them. Jesus draws near to those who are disappointed. We know that we, they didn't recognize him, but Jesus loved them anyway. He initiated a conversation even though they didn't recognize him because they were his friends. And he wanted to do something with their disappointment. I don't know about you, but I find one of the biggest challenges in life is uncertainty. We don't know how things are going to work out. We don't know what God's doing so often. We don't know how, how long the people around us are going to hang by us and hang out with us because it's people, isn't it, that makes life circumstances and particularly disappointments so much easier to uh, bear. And here are these two, 
You know, they've left all the other disciples. They're on their own. And yet Jesus is alongside them. Jesus is here with them, even though they don't recognize him. Even though they don't recognize him. And at every point in our lives where we are disappointed, maybe we're just wrestling with disappointment, maybe we've set off down the road of defeat, as it were. Jesus is with us because he promises to never leave us. And you may not you know, have felt or experienced his presence with you for a while. You might be longing to feel that sense of reconnection with him that you've had at some point in your life. These guys knew him intimately. They didn't recognize him here in this moment. But it didn't make any difference to the fact that he was with them, he wanted to walk alongside them, and he wanted to bless them. I don't know. I don't know whether you've got any theories about uh, why they didn't recognize him. You've heard the phrase, love is blind. Somebody said that. You know, somebody said that men are blind and can't most decidedly see uh, the women that they're married to. And I think that's a really good thing. You know, love is it's a, such a good thing to overlook faults, isn't it? There's a, real, there's a real value in being blind in some ways about not being distracted by failures and faults. Tim is blind in a beautiful way. He overlooks my faults and failings and has done for so many years. And I love that about him. But there are emotions that can blind us in a negative way. There are emotions that can blind us in a negative way. Fear blinds us. Resentment blinds us. Anger blinds us. And I think disappointment blinds us. And I think the reasons these guys couldn't see who was with them, the fact that Jesus was with them because their, their deep emotion of disappointment was blinding them. They couldn't see. And I think it's worth acknowledging that there are times when we don't see or feel Jesus just because of what's going on inside us. It doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he's abandoned us. It just means we can't see him. These two were prevented from recognizing him. And I don't think it's because God put a blindfold on their eyes. I think it's because of what was going on inside them. But this story is such good news for us. It's good news for me. I hope you feel it's good news for you. It's such a precious reminder that wherever we are, whatever we're going through, God is walking alongside us. He's with you and he's walking alongside you, whether you can feel him or not. The second thing that Jesus then goes on to do is to draw out their disappointment. Now, if I was Jesus at this point in time, I would have probably gone, my poor friends, they're disappointed. Let's put them out of their misery as quickly as possible. Ta-da, here I am, this is me, look at my scars. That's how I would have done it. But he does it differently. He decides to draw out their disappointment. No doubt, because actually, you know, he's got something that he wants to teach them. I think actually, you know, what's going on here, this encounter between these guys and Jesus, is actually a brilliant picture of a quiet time. It's actually a brilliant picture of a quiet time. Counselors tell us that people go to great lengths, as I read uh, out to you earlier, to avoid disappointment. Well, Jesus is the wonderful counselor, and what does he do? He's like, come on, boys, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, let's have it out on the table. Let me in to what's going on in your lives. So if that's what we need to do, that's what we need to do. I wonder how good you are at sharing your disappointments in life. I wonder how good you are at owning your disappointment. 
when disappointment comes along and who you share it with? Have you got people in your life that will listen to you when you are disappointed and will give you permission to acknowledge your disappointment even when you're disappointed with God? Or are you surrounded by people or, or are those people around you that you'd love to talk to, people that will just give you some kind of faith perspective to cheer you on your way or make you feel guilty for feeling disappointed? What kind of person are you when somebody else wants to share their disappointment with you? Do you have a kind of faith suite that you give somebody to make them feel better in the moment? Or do you allow them to share their heart and their disappointment you know, and however cloudy and misty things have become for them about God. Who do you share your thoughts and your struggles with? Who are you really honest with? Are you really honest with yourself? Are you real about the way you feel? I was listening to, uh, we've sung a, a, that new song this morning was from you know, written in Bethel Church. I was listening this week to uh, Brian Johnson, who's written a number of the songs that we sing here. And he talks about the fact that a couple of years ago, some of you may have heard this, um, literally overnight, he had a nervous breakdown. He went to thinking he was absolutely fine to being admitted to hospital because he had had a nervous breakdown. And as he, as he provides a narrative about his story, he says, I was one of those guys who just, you know, right from being a child, stuffed everything down. You know, every time I was disappointed, every time I felt pain, every time something came against me, you know, every time I needed to deal with something, I just stuffed it down, stuffed it down, stuffed it down and thought it was fine until one day, literally, everything within him exploded and he had this nervous breakdown. Really powerful story. Yeah, it's a bit like a hoover that as we suck up disappointment and disappointment and disappointment, eventually we become full if we don't deal with it. Jesus is here inviting these guys to share their stuff. Researchers tell us that we women have approximately 20,000 words a day to share with others. Tim doesn't agree with that. He thinks I've got more like 40,000. We know that talking is easier for some of us than others. But at least one of these guys was a man. You know, they may both have been male disciples. It could have been his wife. And Jesus is wanting them to talk. He joins them. What are you talking about, he says. What things are you talking about? Do you think he didn't know? Of course he knew. He wanted to hear what was going on. What's going on in your lives that you feel so hurt and discouraged? Whoever you do or don't talk to, this story illustrates that Jesus wants to hear what is on your heart. He wants you to pour out your heart, your disappointment, your fear, your anger, your resentment, whatever it is, to him. He wants you to talk to him about what is within you, as it were. I'm so disappointed, Lord, that you haven't answered that prayer. I'm so disappointed, Lord, that I haven't been healed. I'm so disappointed, Lord, that I'm still waiting for a life partner. I'm so disappointed that I haven't got that job. Or that the breakthrough hasn't come, or whatever it is. And if that's something you find hard to do, open up the book of Psalms. David has modeled it brilliantly. King David, the man who sort of brought the shalom peace of God, as it were, to Israel. He knew how to talk to his friend Jesus, his God, about his stuff. Now, we will never know 
what would have happened if these guys didn't answer Jesus' question and said, oh, no, everything's fine. You know, that great British word, everything's fine, we're good. We don't know what would happen if they'd said that. But fortunately, they didn't. They were honest. They didn't know who he was, but they were honest enough to pour out their hearts. And in spilling the beans, as it were, in spilling the beans, they paved the way for Jesus, as it were, to make his next move. And the next thing he did was to draw them to Scripture. He drew them to the Bible. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, whenever we're going through a struggle, whenever we're going through a time that's disappointing or whatever, it's not something that we've just got to go through. It's something that we can grow through. And it was the same here for these disciples. I think that's why he didn't just do the kind of ta-da thing. He thought, this is a moment that I can grow you here as well. And if you're walking through disappointment this morning or you're struggling with hope, Jesus is with you. He wants you to be raw and real with him. But he also wants to grow you and he wants to grow your faith. The struggle is always what he uses to make us stronger. I don't know very many people that have grown without struggle in their lives. It's the struggle that he uses to make us stronger. And to grow them, he draws, us, he draws them to the Bible. Because the main reason that they'd lost hope, the main reason why this disappointment had been allowed to settle in their hearts and cause them to change direction in their lives was because they, their circumstances had led them to the wrong conclusion about Jesus. And again, isn't that so often the case for us? It's not the disappointment in itself that can cause us to, to change direction in life or to let go of some of our dreams or to let go of some of the intentions or purposes or decisions that we'd made. It's the conclusions that we can tend to begin to draw about God or about his plans and his purposes for us or about his heart towards us that we become exposed to, those lies when we're disappointed. Look at the passage again. Verse 19. They tell him, Cleopas and whoever Cleopas is with, tell Jesus, he was a prophet from God and he did and said amazingly powerful things. They're focusing on what he was doing. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They'd begun to focus on what hadn't happened rather than on who Jesus said he was. And he responds by taking them back to the Bible and showing them, hey guys, this is who I really am. He opened the scriptures to show them, yes, I am, or Jesus was the Christ. And I think that is, a, you know, that is the trap. Let me say it again. That is the trap for us, the biggest trap when we are disappointed. It's about the conclusions that we might uh, draw about God, about what he's like, that he's not powerful or that he doesn't really care, or that he's not really for me, or that he's not really in control of my life, or that he's not really going to fulfill his purposes for me, or that he isn't big enough to deal with the scenario that I'm praying about, or that he can't redeem our circumstances. And as we begin to engage with those kind of possibilities, as we kind of, you know, our minds go round and round with our disappointment, Disappointment can have the potential to, to forge a pathway towards despair. It's not an automatic pathway. It's not an automatic road. But the road to despair as a destination begins with disappointment. It travels through discouragement. 
But that's where we, disappointment ultimately ends up, which is why Jesus is so keen to come and be with these guys, to hang out with them and to open their minds. Jesus wants to take us back to his book over and over again to speak to us about who he is. Because who he is is ultimately what we put our trust in rather than what he's actually doing or not doing, what we see or what we don't see. How are you doing with reading the book? How are you doing with reading the book? Last part of the story. Got a couple of minutes. Finally, these guys, it's the kind of ta-da moment. They have this encounter with Jesus that um, you know, they had been longing for and given up hope on. And I think the moment that he wanted uh, to share with them I mean, he must have been, I don't know whether he was kind of really holding himself back from revealing himself or whether he was, you know, really patient and just enjoying, as it were, the journey, knowing uh, that they were going to have this moment. I don't know. But they have this encounter with him when he breaks bread and they go, ah, it's you. It's you. And that moment of encounter is like a reset moment that reignites their joy. It reignites their hope and it reignites their zeal and, you know, I don't know, were there party poppers going off in heaven? I don't know. If, there, if this, had, had a, this story had a soundtrack, you know, that was where the string section would have been going full, full pelt. But here's the significant thing about this last part of the story. And let's not myth, miss this. These guys could have missed this last encounter. They could have missed out on this encounter. Look at the passage again. The text says that Jesus, having opened their eyes in the, through the scripture, Jesus continued on as if he was going far, further. He was getting ready to move on and go wherever else he might have been going. But they urged him strongly and said, stay with us. They urged him strongly and said, stay with us. If they hadn't said that, the implication from this story is that they wouldn't have had that encounter with him just then. They may have been wrestling with disappointment. They may have been confused, but they were still hungry for God. They didn't know Jesus was in their midst, but he was a man of faith. He was a man who knew the scripture. He was the man that could talk to them about Jesus. And something in their hearts responded and they were hungry for more. So they said to this man who they didn't know was Jesus, stay with us, we want more. We want more from you. We want more of God. And it was their hunger that enabled them in the end to have the encounter that they were longing for. Jesus left them room for response. He was with them. He loved them. He invited them to share their hearts with him. He opened the scriptures to them and taught them some stuff about who he was. But the encounter with him came as a result of hunger. Maybe uh, you're here this morning and you know you're wrestling with disappointment and you would even acknowledge that you're headed in the wrong direction. You're headed in the wrong direction. Maybe you're somebody who's known what it's like to have a kind of zeal for the Lord, but you feel that that flame has dimmed. Do you know what Jesus wants to encourage you today through this story? Hope is here because he is here. Hope is a person. He's never left you. He wants to listen to you. He wants to grow your understanding and your revelation of who he is. 
and he wants to lead you into a fresh encounter that will not only change your relationship with him, but will lead you back in the right direction towards his purpose and his destiny for your life. That's where these guys ended up, going back in the right direction. And it's what he wants for us too. So why don't we stand? And uh, as Andrew said earlier, we're going to spend these last few moments before we have to go and collect kids and have to have our caffeine fix. We're just going to spend a few moments praying and waiting on the Lord and uh, just giving him a few moments to, to seal in our hearts, to do in our hearts what he is still wanting to do before we go our separate ways. So why don't you close your eyes?